As Penny said, we're starting a new series. It's our Easter series, Love to the End. And this morning we are in John chapter 12. So stand with me and we'll read John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. John 12, 1 through 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Father, we do thank you for your word. It's precious. We thank you that you revealed yourself to us, and we ask, Lord, that we would be taught by your Holy Spirit, Jesus, as you taught your first disciples. We ask for that grace this morning, that we would understand your word and know how to live it out in our daily life. For your glory, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. The title of this morning's message is Crazy Devotion. Now, I met my wife, Judy. She appeared in the video. I met her about 40 years ago. I was five years of age. (laughs) She took me from the crib. Um, I met her in college, actually, and I was infatuated with her. Uh, She was paying attention to me. Even though I had very little money, I would buy gifts for her, and she would pretend that she actually liked the gifts that I was giving her. I loved to study, and she was intent on getting me out of the library and paying attention to her. Anyways, we were infatuated with each other. We've been married for a few years now. And I've learned that marriage is much more than a fleeting passion. Marriage demands deep commitment. I have pledged to be with Judy right to the end. When I die, if I die before her, all that I have will go to her. Devotion. Devotion is an old word, but it's a really good word. When we speak of devotion, we're talking about things like love and affection, even enthusiasm. And at the core of this word, you have loyalty and faithfulness and deep commitment. To whom are you devoted? And what would you do for the person that you are devoted to? What would you do? To what lengths would you go? 
We're in John 12. And a dinner is being held in Bethany in honor of Jesus. It's probably toward evening. Verse 2. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Martha served, Lazarus reclines. And one thing that we need to know is that uh, at a special dinner at that time, people would lie down, head toward the table, feet away from the table. So keep this in mind when we think about Jesus' feet being washed. Jesus is lying down. And they would be on one elbow and eating with the other. So that's the scene. People reclined around the table. Jesus is at the table and Lazarus is there as well. A few days earlier, in John chapter 11, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And the miracle had caused a stir among the religious leaders. Why? From their perspective, if Jesus continued to teach and to do miracles, the crowds would go after him. They were known for their power, for their status, for their influence among the Jewish people. And so they had much to lose if everyone went after Jesus. If everyone was attached to Jesus, no one would be attached to them. The scriptures say, at the end of the passage we read earlier, that the crowds believed in Lazarus. They were at the feast in Jerusalem and asking, oh, when's Jesus going to show up to the feast? Will he come? And if he does, what will he do next? They believed because Lazarus has been raised from the dead. So the religious leaders, they decide that they will put Lazarus to death as well. Lazarus must be removed from the scene. They've already decided that Jesus should die. Now they commit themselves to killing Lazarus as well. So this is the atmosphere of the room in Bethany. It appears to be a calm, casual atmosphere, but actually it is quite charged. Jesus' friends, they they want to honor him, but the religious leaders are on the hunt for him. There is this juxtaposition of of honor and devotion and treachery and opposition and deceit. It is not a sleepy moment. Let's look at verse 3. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, most of the biblical scholars, they agree that this story is also told in Matthew chapter 26 and Mark 16. According to those gospels, Mary, she comes with an alabaster flask, breaks it, and pours all of the ointment on him, pure nard. This aromatic oil that was actually imported by the Romans from northern India, a plant, spikenard, grows in the Himalayas. And so it was imported from northern India to Israel. It was expensive. 
it was actually normally used on very special occasions, like uh, an incense offering at the temple or anointing a body for burial. In verse 5, Judas says that Mary's pound of ointment could have been sold for 300 denarii, more than 300 days' wages, a year's income. So that, this is not from the dollar store. <laughs> it's really expensive. Uh, the cologne that we use, or the perf- perfume that we use, it, it may cost about $100, but even what we use, we use it very sparingly, right? Just like a spray at a time. We wouldn't think of breaking the bottle and pouring it on ourselves or or pouring it on someone else. Just wouldn't do that. Another thing about the value of Mary's ointment, because it was worth a year's wages, it suggests that it probably may have been her inheritance, so part of the family heirloom, something passed on from generation to generation, from mother to daughter. So we're not just talking about monetary value, we're talking about something of sentimental value, something very precious to her. Doesn't love for another person, whether it be a special friend, a spouse, a child, doesn't it often appear to be foolish? to others, a bit extravagant, a bit beyond reason. God has graced uh, Judy and I with three daughters, and, uh, you know, Judy being the mother, carrying those children from conception was very much attuned to what was happening long before I was, but when those girls were born, I loved them immediately. Nothing had to happen for me to love them. I was ready to do anything for them. Those three girls grew up. They went to university. And it wasn't unusual for them to call me. And the call would begin like this. It didn't begin with, hey, Dad, how are you doing? It was more like, Dad, I'm out of money. (laughs) And if that wasn't enough, the following line was, Could you have the money in my account by 2 (laughs) p.m.? Why do my children look at me as if I'm an ATM machine, right? (laughs) Maybe yours do as well. Nevertheless, I sent them money. And even crazier, when Judy and I pass away, whatever it is that we have, whether it be much or little, it will go to them. Everything. Devotion. So Mary, she's devoted to Jesus. She, she breaks that alabaster flask. And as she pours the ointment out on Jesus' feet, she takes this posture of humble adoration of worship. My first point is this, and it's my main point today. Jesus is worthy of extravagant devotion. If you take nothing home with you other than this, Please take this home. Jesus is worthy of extravagant devotion. Did Mary understand the significance of this anointing in that moment? We don't know. Had she understood that Jesus was about to die? We don't know. What we do know is that she was devoted to Jesus. 
Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is in the home of Martha and Mary. Another occasion. And Martha's busy. She's anxious. She's troubled. She's serving. Mary is at Jesus' feet, listening to his teaching. And what does Jesus say? Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. John chapter 11, I referred to this chapter earlier, Lazarus has died. And Jesus delays his going to Bethany. When he does arrive, Mary goes up to him and throws herself at his feet. She's distraught, and she says, Jesus, if only you had come earlier. And Jesus weeps. Here in John chapter 12, again, we see her at Jesus' feet. This time, pouring ointment on his feet and wiping the ointment with her hair. One thing is certain, she's devoted to Jesus. She values being with Jesus. She values his presence. In the Gospel of Mark, she not only anoints his feet, but his head. When Jesus talks about the, the anointing, he says that Mary anointed his body for burial. So this is, this is a, a lavish anointing. As she wipes his feet, the the scriptures say that the, the scent of the perfume, it fills the air. It's lingering. Beautiful. Wouldn't it be good if the story ended right here? Unfortunately, it doesn't. Verse 4 of John 12. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Sounds spiritual, right? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Judas opposes her, and the language that's used here in John chapter 12 is the same language that Jesus uses in John chapter 10 when he talks about the hireling, the hireling who doesn't care for the sheep, the one who doesn't actually care about the poor, the thief who is about to destroy. The same language that's used in John 10 is used for Judas. So you see that Judas, his treachery, his hypocrisy stand in stark contrast to Mary's love and her devotion. He actually had the habit of stealing from the money bag. And maybe he wanted to see this expensive ointment sold for cash and put into the treasury so that he could pilfer a bit more. Judas. What will he betray Jesus for? A lot less, right? 30 pieces of silver, that's what Jesus is worth to him. Matthew and Mark make it clear that it's this event in Bethany, this anointing of Jesus' feet, this is what prompts Judas to betray Jesus. So instead of joining Mary in worship and extravagant devotion, he joins 
the religious leaders in their devotion to removing Jesus from the scene. My first point was that Jesus is worthy of extravagant devotion, always. My second point is this. If you worship Jesus extravagantly, you will be, you will be challenged. Extravagant devotion for Jesus will be challenged. If we read Matthew and Mark, we learn that it's not just Judas that opposes Jesus, it's all the disciples that are questioning. They ask, why was the ointment wasted like that? Why the extravagance? Now think about it for a moment. Lazarus is right there with them. Don't they see Lazarus, who was just raised from the dead, and Martha and Mary? Don't they get it that Jesus might want to, or sorry, that Mary might want to honor Jesus? What are they thinking about? They're thinking about the value of the ointment when they should be thinking about the value of Jesus. And they say, this worship, a waste. For Mary, Jesus had given her brother life. She would trade her alabaster jar for Jesus any day. What do we hold on to that's more valuable than Jesus? Is there anything that you and I are holding on to today that we consider to be more valuable than Jesus. One thing is clear, the disciples aren't thinking about Jesus. They're not thinking about Jesus. He's already told them that he, that he will die. At least three times he's told them that he'll be arrested and that he'll die in Jerusalem. He's about to die and they're not thinking about him. They're not listening. They're not worshiping. What they need has actually been sown in the, in the heart of a woman from Bethany. If you read through the Gospel of Mark, you'll see that the only person who sees Jesus and kind of gets it is Mary. It's shocking, but that's what Mark is saying. In the Gospel of John, the only disciples who, disciple who washes the feet of another is Mary. Jesus washes the disciples' feet in John chapter 13, but those other disciples never wash anyone's feet. They have a lot to learn. No gift of service will be forthcoming at this dinner from the disciples. No gift of service. They miss the moment. And as I meditated on this text this week, I asked myself, am I missing moments to worship Jesus? Do we miss moments because we're focused on the wrong things? We're valuing the wrong things. God gives us these windows of opportunity to know Him, to express our devotion, to worship Him. It may be an act of service to another. It may be giving generously to others. It may be a moment of prayer in His presence. What's the moment in your life? How would the Lord ask you to express your devotion to Him today? 
These devotion decisions, they're actually made in the, in the ebb and flow of life, in real-life opportunities. They don't happen in our minds when we just go, oh, I wonder what this would look like. No, it's actually hap- it happens in, in very practical ways. Devotion, it goes from the, the heart to the lips, from the heart to the hands, from the heart to the needy. It's expressed. When I was a, a teenager, a, a wealthy man from the Fraser Valley, he gave away everything that he had. And of course, the first question anyone would ask would be, why? Why would he do that? Well, he had gone to the mountain to pray, and as he spent time with Jesus, he came to the conclusion that Jesus was asking him to give it all away, and he did. And I remember, I wasn't a believer at the time, but I remember the commentary in town That man was so foolish. Why would anyone ever do that? You see, the world has no problem with excess wealth. It has no problem with lots of power or lots of sex. No problem with that. But the world does have issues with extravagant devotion for Jesus. It does. If we express devotion to Jesus, we can expect to be challenged. So often we're encouraged to be moderate, right? Discreet, private. If you're going to follow Jesus, at least keep it to yourself. (laughs) Don't be too public, too bold, too extravagant. Be moderate. James Reimer, he's uh, a National Hockey League goaltender, about 35 years of age. There's a picture of him. Uh, If you follow the Canucks, you know that the Sharks played the Canucks this week, and uh, he didn't have a good game. The Canucks scored seven goals on him. But that's not why his picture's up there. Uh, About a week ago, Saturday night, He was asked by his team to wear a pride-themed jersey in the warm-up, and he declined. He declined to wear that pride-themed jersey. Of course, he was asked why, and this is what he said. Jesus asks me to love everyone and follow him. I have no hate in my heart for anyone, and I have always strived to treat everyone that I encounter with respect and kindness. In this specific instance, I'm, I'm choosing not to endorse something that is counter to my personal convictions, which are based on the Bible. So the point I want you to get is not whether you agree with James Reimer or not. The point is, he made a decision out of devotion to Jesus, and he was willing to pay the price. Because there are moments in life when you will make a decision, and nothing you say will appease those who disagree with you. There is nothing that James Reimer can say today that will satisfy those who disagree with him. 
On social media right now, you read comments like these. Absolutely a homophobe. Giant bigot. Hateful. Brainwashed. What happened to the nice James Reimer? So this is what people said about him before he refused to wear the jersey. These were the comments in the media. One of the, one of the NHL's nicest players, when he was 22, just about the nicest 22-year-old on the planet, He played six seasons for the Toronto Maple Leafs. The nicest guy in Toronto sports. So that's what everybody was saying about James Reimer before he declined to wear the jersey. And now that he didn't wear the jersey, he's a bigot. He's hate-filled. He's brainwashed. As I said, there will be moments when your devotion to Jesus will be questioned, you'll be slandered, you'll be accused. My daughter works in the film industry, my oldest daughter, and uh, she was editing a film, and one day her film director asked her, do you go to church? And she said, yep. You're not an evangelical Christian, are you? And my daughter, Ashley, said, yeah. And immediately he was enraged. Immediately. Just because she declared herself to be a follower of Jesus. And maybe that has been your experience. Where you work, where you, where you study. In the moment when you have declared yourself to be a follower of Jesus, people have turned against you. And if that has happened to you, I am so sorry. Maybe it happened to you in your own family. What would Jesus say? I think what Jesus says to the disciples certainly expresses his heart. In verse 7, Jesus said, Leave her alone. He defends Mary. He protects her. In Mark 14, 6, he adds, Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. He questions their motives. What they consider to be a waste in the eyes of Jesus is a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. Her act becomes his treasure. Does Jesus remember what you have done out of love for him. Those things that you have said or done or the way that you have positioned yourself in the workplace or at school and you've been misunderstood and accused, does Jesus value what you have done in his name? Listen to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. God does not forget. Know that. Jesus does not forget. When he opens his books, 
you will find there your words of devotion, your acts of devotion, treasured by Jesus. Jesus prizes our extravagant devotion forever. He doesn't forget. Kent Hughes, he's a, well, he's a retired pastor, but pastor, author uh, in Chicago. And uh, he tells the story of his wife and their son, little Kent, Kent number two. His wife, Barbara, loves baking. And uh, so she had this beautiful recipe box. It was a cardboard decorator recipe, recipe box. And uh, it was a conversation piece. She had all of her favorite recipes in that box. Little Kent, he knew that his mother really liked that box. Isn't it interesting how our children, they clue into what's of value to us. They know what we love. So it was Barbara's birthday, and her friends invited her out for lunch. Off she went. And uh, when she came back home, she noticed that the box was gone. So she was just about to cry out, where's the box? (laughs) And she saw little Kent with his hands behind his back. And there was water dripping to the floor. Her heart sank. And uh, little Kent, he said, Mommy, it's your birthday. I I just wanted to do something for you. Mommy, I knew that you loved the recipe box, so I washed it. And when she opened that recipe box, she found a, a nickel and a black plastic alligator and a picture of Kent. You see, Kent, out of love for his mother, he loved his mom so much. So he gave his mom all the money he had and gave her his best alligator and the best picture he had of himself. Kent Sr., the father, says, you know what? If the house burns down, my wife Barbara, she's going for that box. (laughs) Why? Because it represents pure love. Pure, unadulterated love. Love. Jesus, he has some interesting things in his treasure box. Cups of water, broken alabaster jars, widow's pennies. (laughs) What does he have from you? What does he have from me? What would Jesus be keeping in his jar that he's received from us? Jesus says in John chapter 12, verse 8, to the disciples, after they have scorned Mary, for the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Mark adds a bit more. Mark chapter 14, verse 7. 
For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good, to, do good for them. But you will not always have me. You will always have the poor. And when Jesus says these words, he's actually drawing from Deuteronomy 15, 11, where we read, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Jesus, he actually encourages caring for the poor, the widow, the little one, the orphan. The disciples should do good. Yes, they should give to the poor. That's not the point. They should be wildly generous. If the disciples were genuinely concerned for the poor, they, they could know that they, they could care for the poor every day for the rest of their lives. The point is, Jesus will not always be with them. The contrast is not between Jesus and the poor. It's between the always and the not always. They will always have the poor, not always have Jesus. How many more opportunities would they have to express their love for Jesus? How many more? This was six days before the Passover. Within a week, Jesus will be dead, hanging on a cross. Again, as I meditate on this passage this week, I ask myself, am I missing opportunities to express my devotion to Jesus? Because I value the wrong things or I'm thinking about the wrong things. Have I truly placed Jesus first? And am I doing all I can to express my devotion to Him, whether it be through my words or through my actions, the way that I relate to people, the way that I spend time in His presence? Mary, Mary placed Jesus first. Mark 14, verse 8, we read, She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Mary, she did what she could. With the resources she had, with the ability to worship that she had, she did what she was able to do. Instead of taking the purinard and selling it and keeping the money for herself, she pours it out on Jesus. Do we worship Jesus in that way? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Put your lives on the altar. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God's good and acceptable and perfect will for us is complete devotion. Here's another point. For for Jewish men, women, their glory was their hair. And so when Mary lets down her hair and washes Jesus' feet, she's communicating something. She's saying, Jesus, I sacrifice my glory so that you might be glorified. <laughs> All that I am, Jesus, for you. 
complete devotion. She didn't give the oil one drop. Here, here, Jesus, a drop for your head and maybe two for your feet. She poured it out. In another moment, uh, Mark chapter 12, there's a widow. Uh, Jesus is watching people give money at the treasury, at the temple, and some wealthy people come in and make very large donations. and, And then there's a widow who comes with two small coins. Together, those two coins make a penny. So, of course, if you look at that, you say, oh, that's insignificant. Who cares? (laughs) A penny. Jesus values what she did. Jesus says she gave all she had. He doesn't look at the value of the gift. He looks at the heart, heart devotion. I... I, I've been raised to think about stewardship. I always have this sa- saying in my mind, a penny saved is a penny earned. There's some wisdom to that. So if you want to save money, don't go to Starbucks. You can make coffee at home. That was my counsel to my daughters. You know, my daughters are all millennials, and they'd always say to me, oh, we're never going to buy a house. And I, my question was, are you drinking coffee at Starbucks? <laughs> you, will never, you will never have a house. <laughs> it's okay to enjoy yourself now and then, but good stewardship, thoughtful stewardship. There's wisdom in that. But if those thoughts control me more than my thoughts of devotion, <laughs> if there's no willingness in my heart to be wildly generous, to go beyond my own reason, then I'm being controlled by my wisdom and not the wisdom of the Lord. So if the Lord is challenging me the way that I think, am I willing to change? Am I willing to think differently? Jesus wants to use our devotion for his glory. And this is my last point. Jesus uses our extravagant devotion for his glory. Jesus says to his disciples, she anointed my body for burial. So her devotion, it becomes this prophetic act. The anointing with oil, it becomes this dramatic foreshadowing of the events to come. Jesus' impending death. She's prepared his body to be laid in a tomb. Now again, did she understand the deeper significance of what she was doing? Probably not. I think John Kelvin gets it right. He wrote, she was guided by the breath of the Spirit that in sure confidence she should do this in duty to Christ. She was guided by the breath of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit just led her to do something that she would maybe under, and I'm sure she would, but she would understand only in eternity. She was prompted by the Spirit to do what she did. So again, I ask myself, am I sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit to give, to worship, to love in an extravagant way? It's so easy to live by common sense. What seems practical? 
And I would challenge myself and I would challenge you this week. This week, when we're prompted to write that letter of appreciation, let's write it. When we're prompted to tell someone that we love them, let's tell them. When we're prompted to share the good news of Jesus, let's share it. When there's a moment to stand for Jesus at school or in the workplace or at home, let's stand. Let's express our devotion to Jesus. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus says, And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. To this day, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, around the world and right here today, this story of Mary letting down her hair, wiping Jesus' feet with the ointment from that flask that he, she had broken, it's told and retold and retold. The story of Mary's devotion to Jesus. It's still being used for his glory. What is the alabaster jar that the Lord has placed in your hands? What has God given you? The most important thing that he has given us is our lives. This is the alabaster jar that we are asked to break and pour out for his glory. This is our spiritual worship when we place ourselves on the altar and live for him, not for ourselves. And when we live in that way, well, then Jesus marks our lives with his presence. Our character reflects his. People see in us love and faithfulness and commitment and mercy and justice. Our lives, they radiate his splendor. When we're present, a sweet aroma fills the room. And there may be people that don't understand, that accuse us, that slander us, that misinterpret what we have done, that put us down, but they cannot keep Jesus from being glorified. They cannot. And that which we do in the name of Jesus, our Lord will never forget. So this week... May we follow the example of Mary and pour out what God has given us for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for drawing us to yourself. We thank you, Jesus, for loving us to the end. We thank you for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. You gave your life and died on our behalf, paid the price we could never pay. And so we thank you, Jesus. May we, out of gratitude to you, because of the new life that we have in you, now and forever, because we have been forgiven and we have been reconciled with our Father in heaven, because the Holy Spirit has come to abide in us and that because we are yours forever, Lord, may we pour out our lives for your glory this week. In your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen.
Here's some questions for your reflection.